shotglassdigital.com. This episode of Geek Out Loud, we've got two people coming on to convince me just how great Dune, the book, not the movie, really is. But I don't need that much convincing. It's all this and more on your safe place to geek out. It's the Geek Out Loud podcast. again everyone and welcome to geek out loud your safe place to geek out on the internet my name is steve glosson so glad to be along with you late in december oh what a night and uh, we are pressing toward the new year i'm going to do something out of order according to the rundown pulling the curtain back a little bit and I'm going to go ahead and bring in our special guests today, both Patreon supporters and uh, both great friends of the show and members of the Mixler Zoo Crew. First, we have the rabbit tamer himself, the rabbit whisperer, if you will, bald-headed Rod. Rod, welcome to Geek Out Loud, sir. Well, thank you for having me, sir. Well, thank you for all of your support. I mean, this is this is thank you. There's nothing to thank me for. I'm just running my mouth. Thank you for letting me run my mouth. And um, because he felt like he was going to need some backup, and uh, and she seemed super passionate about it. I call her the conscience of the Mixler Zoo crew uh, and a supporter of the show in a big bad way herself, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Carissa. Well, hello, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you along with us, and um, we will try to behave. And uh, I appreciate that. I, yeah, and, I do. And I'm going to depend on you to rein me in at moments when I need to be reined in. That's my job. Okay. <laughs> also, she knows. She's like, "Yep, I'm on it." Also, don't. Of course, can we? We also encourage you to continue um, your role as the mother in the chat. So. <laughs> Well, if you start to use foul language, I'll let you know. There you go. Well, also, I have to, uh, I, I, I normally don't do this. I normally don't call people out on the show, but I have to call out um, Teresa Delgado, uh, co-host of Disney Vault Talk, uh, the heart and soul, if you will, of Disney Vault Talk. Indeed. And, uh, and great friend of all the shows. And she's texted me and she's like, I'm so bored. Can I be on goal? <laughs> Oh my goodness! Come on, Teresa. Teresa thinks that whenever um, (laughs) she thinks that when (laughs) when she's not here, it's boring. That's well. She thinks that no, it's not that. It's that whenever someone else is on, she's like, "Oh, he's got people on there. I want to be on too. I want to be on too." (laughs) 
So she's jealous. <laughs> yeah, and of course, Daniel and he sent me a private message on Skype says, I can't believe you let a bald man on the show. So... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, and he, and he wonders why I didn't let him be on. Oh, bless his heart. Uh, we'll wanna... In the South, you know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Well, we want to thank everyone who has supported the show by heading over to geekoutonline.com and using the Amazon link there. My cousin uh, called me earlier this week and he's like, hey, got a couple internet things for you. You might want to do this, 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 and this to improve uh, people getting to that Amazon link, but it, I haven't done any of that yet. Uh, so head over to geekoutonline.com for all your Amazon shopping. Use the Amazon link there, and it really, really helps out the show, and I thank everyone who's done that. And if you are a supporter via Patreon at patreon.com slash geekoutloud, we greatly, greatly appreciate your support. Our featured supporter this week, of course, we've got two with us here on the show, but uh, we'll mention Jason Corbett. He's unstoppable in physical combat. His figure of four beats your fist of monkey every time. And he is our featured supporter on this episode of Geek Out Loud, and we appreciate his support. Guys, I was actually working on something over the weekend to um, to, to further support the shows, and because I, I relied on a stranger, it, it has apparently all fallen through. You should have called me. Well, what what had happened was, if I may begin a story that way, um, my brother, John, who is a bit of a vocalist, uh, for the past few years in Douglas, Georgia, has done a Christmas concert. This year, no different. And every year, I have, um, I've opened up for him and kind of, you know, warmed the crowd up, if you will, done, done about 15 minutes or so of just some comedy and that sort of thing. And this year was solid. I mean, it was a solid set. It was so good. Friday night was great. And I came back and, and I brought a recorder and I got the sound guy there to run it out of the, uh, to, to run it out into it from, from his soundboard so that I could, you know, bring it back. The plan was to release it on bandcamp.com uh, for, for like 50 cent, you know, because it'd be like 20 minutes worth of uh, a stand up comedy show and to give it to Patreon supporters for free. And um, you should charge us for that. No, not at all, because you guys are already... I mean, I just figured it'd be something neat extra for the for the Christmas season, you know. And um, <clears throat> and so I, uh, I... So Friday night I get, I get back, and I'm listening to it, and there's like a buzz in the audio. And I'm like, okay, don't like this, but maybe I can, you know, work it and fix it and everything. Well, Saturday night there's another show. So what I also did, I'm like, you know what? If I do this differently... Like, I really sat and did the work like a stand-up would do to try to make my set better. And Saturday night, not going to lie, I killed. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Just to just to step out on stage and kill. And, I, you know, I, it's always great when you go out and you get a laugh. And I went to the sound man before. I'm like, hey, this worked great last night. The only problem was there was a buzz uh, underneath me the whole time. He's like, oh, I know exactly what that was. It was, you know, this thing over here, which doesn't have any business. We don't need to worry about having it. So I'll mute that on your channel. Da, 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 da. And he does all, he pushes these buttons. I get the audio home and he muted my mic in that channel, not the buzz. Not a professional. Oh, he, he got paid like a professional. Ridiculous. Oh, it may, I was so, I was infuriated. I just could not believe it. I'm like, this was, and it was, I, I can't express to you guys just how amazing I was on Saturday night. <laughs> there were people. It will live in infamy. There were wet pants. 
That's how. <laughs> <laughs> people people literally wet their pants. I was so good. I was so good. So. I was going to ask you what happened because you were talking about that. I was so excited. Yeah, I was so excited. Yeah, I was so excited to do it. I was going to. I, I was going to release it, you know, by midnight last night and everything, and just so people could have it for Christmas and, and let it be like a Christmas thing. You sit around with your family because it's clean, it's family-friendly, it's great, and people were wetting their pants, lit, laughing. It was, it's probably the funniest thing anyone's ever done on stage, the funniest bit, 20 minutes of stand-up. It definitely was. That's, I mean, no question. There's, well, you know, and, and unfortunately it's lost forever. No one will ever hear it. And so, so it will always be. It'll always be the greatest thing that never was. Yeah. <laughs> All you right. have that claim to fame now. That's right. I mean, it, it should be put on your website. That's right. So what this has started, though, and this is something for you guys to all think about and uh, put on your prayer list, um, as it were. Uh, I, I spoke with a guy in town. I'm like, you know what I'd love to do? I've got an hour or so's worth of material. I'm like, I'm going to do a straight up independently produced comedy album and put it out on bandcamp.com and uh and and a good hour's worth of you know just stand up and stories so be looking for that and and hopefully by summer done boom nice you heard it here first ladies and gentlemen you heard it here first so um well guys maybe maybe we should should do it with an audience well that's the whole idea yeah that's what we're going to do is 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 I was talking to a guy about having a venue and everything, and and uh, and having you know a, just a small little place you know that'll hold you know anywhere between eighty and hundred people because I feel like we can get that many there. In Atlanta. Well, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Where I can come. <laughs> well, I don't know that I can get a venue in Atlanta for free. Uh, I think we can work on that, and I have a sound guy. Well, I have a few sound guys. I've got a few as well, and and I won't be using this guy anymore. From now on, Coach is my sound man. So, and uh, there you go. Um, now, well, are you going to save some material for SteveCon? I mean, you're not going to blow your entire set. Well, you sh- know, you know what all the pros do is they travel around with the same set for a year. Yes, it's so, a good plan. You yeah, perfect it. That's right. So, we'll see. Um, yeah. Kristen in Jersey says, I can tell the Southerners uh, about your circus sideshow friend from New Jersey. By the way, I know this isn't Rock Out Loud, it's Geek Out Loud, but we want to say a very special happy birthday to um, to the to the voiceless third member of Rock Out Loud. That is Kristen's Aunt Angie has a birthday today, and so happy birthday to Aunt Angie. All right, well, guys, let's do this so we can get to the Dune talk. Let's jump into some... Emails. Our first email comes from Xander, and I want to I want to give a shout out to Xander. Of course, Xander is spelled like X A N D E R. I believe that's like Xander from the old Buffy show. I don't know, but in the actual email that he sent, he told me how to pronounce his name, and I was just proud of myself that I didn't need that. So, and as always, uh, Xander starts out the way so many people do. Sorry for the long email, but I hope you read the whole thing. And I think his email is all of like three sentences. 
Uh, he says, first, I want to say, say, I want to say thank you for your great mediocre show. I started listening back in the shoe days and have listened to all of your podcasts since. I've had some rough high school years due to family issues, and your podcast helped me get through them. Well, that's great. I had rough high school years due to being a fat kid. It was like having a friend who was always there for me. Now on to current days. I currently attend a United States Service Academy and am doing an internship with a shipping company. It's a, it is a week to cross the Atlantic to go to Europe, and your podcasts have helped me keep my sanity. The goal of Verse, ladies and gentlemen, is traveling the high seas. It is worldwide. Right now. Um, I also want to thank you for talking about James Spader and Boston Legal as the entire series in our ship's movie library. I just started, and I'm hooked. Did you guys ever watch Boston Legal? Yeah. I did not. You did, Carissa? Yeah, yeah I did. I well, I did when we lived in Boston. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know why. It makes no sense that you would stop once you left. <laughs> it was on all over the all over the place. It's not relevant. Not relevant it anymore. Wasn't as relevant. That's right. <laughs> it's not relevant. We don't live there anymore, so why should I watch anything about it? I'm done with this. Uh, put it away. I love that show. I and I loved it because of um, Will Shatner and, and James Spader. Like. I, I could have just watched those two every episode. I didn't need a supporting cast, except for what was going on in the courtroom. <laughs> Denny Crane. Uh, also, thanks for letting me know. He says about Marvel Unlimited. I've only been reading DC for a while, but we'll definitely get back into Marvel. Anyway, sorry for the long email. Yeah, because it was it was as long. It took me it took me a week. It t- it was like I was traveling across the Atlantic to get to Europe. Uh, thanks for the fun and lightheartedness. God bless. And that's from Xander. So thanks, Xander, and uh, safe journeys. Is is there? Any, I say when I say safe journey, or no good journey is what they said on uh, on He Man on the Masters of the Universe movie, right? Oh, anyone with long, me? Been a long time since I seen yeah. that one. No one with me on that one. Nobody. All right, good journey. The chat is just doing their own thing right now. They yeah, no one's helping me out. Yeah, they're all talking about Teresa moving to Texas, and everyone's great. Um, yeah, so she's. <laughs> is she singing right now though? Who's that? Teresa, is she like every time you say Texas, does she automatically break into the song? I don't know Texas. She well, she she busts out a woohoo. So, wait, can I ask a question? Yeah. Why is your show great mediocre? Uh, because I've not achieved great yet. We're at mediocre oh, right, status. Right, right, still. Right, yeah, right, right. yeah. Gotcha. So he was just he was Caught. playing along. Yeah, he was playing along there. Yeah. I um. Get it. You know what? In in the spirit of the holiday season. Because, you know, and, and because we always endeavor to be so positive on Geek Out Loud, um, I'm going to go ahead and read this next email. This comes from a, a man who I can only say is is trying to become my nemesis online. He's trying to take Doc's role. Well, I was going to say, don't you know that Doc has that role? Mm-hmm. As, as my nemesis. Well, the thing is, is every time Doc does something evil, I'm going to make his... His uh, his his post on the Goldiverse Wall of Fame more and more positive. I don't know if uh, did you get my message the other day about I am I think I'm getting rather close to figuring out who Doc. Yes, I did I, get that. I've, I've got his hometown now. Mm, the mystery <laughs> of Doc. I really think he's twelve. <laughs> hey, <laughs> uh, I've got his age. I mean, I just think he's he's I've got he's his twelve age. and he's got us all fooled. Rod knows where he lives. Hmm. Rod knows where he lives, so. Uh, Kristen, he's moving to Jersey. He, yeah. He's going to give up everything and move to Jersey. So you and you can twelve. Point, I said you, twelve. You can point yourself, Kristen. 
Um, I this last on the last episode, I read an email from this particular emailer. His name is Matthew Ibarra, uh, Phantom Rider 05. That's a I, great last name. Yeah, well, he's uh, I believe he's Latino, um, or he's got some Latino in him, and uh, he is. I'll go ahead and plug him. He's at Phantom Rider 05 on Twitter. Be nice to him. Um, and uh, no, really, be nice. There's no sense in being mean. But the last episode, I read an email where he was disagreeing about Batman, the the Nolan Batman universe being for kids, and and he and he invokes Star Wars. And whenever anyone starts invoke Star Wars, you know, that's the vein, the vein throbs in your temple. Well, it's just that that's <laughs> the one thing I can talk about, and I don't like people, and I don't think Star Wars and and the Dark Knight trilogy compare. I just don't think they do. I think they're in two separate classes. It'd be like someone comparing the Dark Knight trilogy to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I just don't think there's any comparison there. It's apples to oranges. I really believe so. And um, and so, as I was reading his email, as he was listening to me read his email, apparently he was he was live tweeting, um, listening to my email. Because, <laughs> I mean, there are one, two, three, four... Five, six, seven, eight, nine, like nine tweets uh, from from the day he was listening, and so I just tweeted wow. back. I just tweeted back to him. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I think it's I wasn't able to. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't think I was able to listen that night. I was working <laughs> in a basement with no signal, and like later as I was catching up on Twitter, I was like, "Oh, this went downhill in a hurry." <laughs> it's possible he has too much time on his hands. I doubt it. I think I, I think I just hit the button the way he hits my buttons. I think I think that Matt and I just really rub each other the wrong way, and we need to spend some time together and learn to, to rub each other the right. No, way. stop there. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> That's why she's here. Um, he says, uh, but one of the tweets said, somehow this doesn't surprise me. Steve Lawson takes an email, makes it about him, makes it something it's not. And wow. uh, I, that's, well, yeah, the, it's my show. Um, so. <laughs> I mean, why? I don't understand people who listen but have those kinds of responses. Unless they really like to get irritated. Right. Well, uh, so Matthew chimes in again, and he says, Disney doesn't tamper with Marvel. Unless you're X-Men and the Fantastic Four. And I've got to say that I believe I agree with Matthew in his point in this particular email. However, he's making the point from a different angle than he should be. Because he took something I said out of context. But here we go. He says, as always, Glosson, I interrupt your email box with a different perspective. Right or wrong, just different. I was catching up with Goal and I was listening. You ran about how Disney doesn't mess with Marvel. Now, whether they do or don't... It doesn't usually bother me. I'm DC and Image, and with a co-opted joke from yours truly that it's safe uh, for you to talk to me about anything but Marvel. Like yourself, I had someone at the comic shop come up to me recently and take offense to the joke. I ran it about and ran it about how garbage DC was and how Disney was doing better than Warner Brothers. Till the shop owner mentioned that Marvel was canceling Fantastic Four and killing Wolverine. So what say you, sir, on cannibalizing iconic books for the sake of movie profit? Um... First off, when I was talking about Disney not messing with Marvel, I meant creatively in the movie sense. In in the movies that Disney and Marvel Studios has control over, that Disney hasn't what a lot of people would say Disney-fies. Disney-fied, rather, uh, these movies. A lot of people concerned about Star Wars, you know, and and if they'll be and if it'll be too if it'll be, you know, watered down too much and all this other stuff. 
And I was just using Marvel as an example to show a franchise and a, and a company that Disney has acquired that they've not done that to. Now, on the comic book side of things, on the publishing arm of things, yeah, they are canceling Fantastic Four, one of the longest-running uh, series under their belts. And, of course, everything's been launched and relaunched in the past 10 years. Um, and they're killing off Wolverine, one of the most popular characters in Marvel Universe. Um well, he needs a break. He's been in like the Avengers. He's <laughs> three different X Men teams. He's got two solo Wolf, books. At Wolverine, some point. Wolverine died of a break. <laughs> Wolverine is going to die of exhaustion. <laughs> yes, that's what it comes down to. Oh, uh, he says now our take. Most of the guys in the comic shop, he means, was that of the four colors division of Marvel would be insane to close these characters down, especially Wolverine. That this sir had to come from an entity way beyond Casada. Talking about Joe Casada. Uh, I know, sadly, from experience, when it comes to juggling and managing properties, this is not a production company's decision. He knows from experience about juggling and managing properties, intellectual properties. So, Matthew, I I probably shouldn't be poking the bear. He may have some clout somewhere. I doubt it. Uh, Anyhow, Marvel Studios (laughs) is a production company. They make the finances and the movies. However, Disney handles the legal and profit margins. Going back to the cancellation of Spectacular Spider-Man and Clone Wars, these are two animated series he's talking about all of which were Disney decisions. I don't think uh, that call down to scrap Fantastic Four and Wolverine came from Marvel Editorial. Why, sir, I do believe the stench we will all smell at Wolverine's funeral will be mouth droppings. And that, he says, your friend in time. Yeah, it's going to take a lot of time, Matt. Um, I Listen, I, I don't know much about business at all. I have said on this show that I, I, it seems petty and it seems like a jerk move to do this and it seems like it, may, it doesn't make sense to me from a marketing standpoint that if you're producing these comics and Fox puts out successful movies with the character of Wolverine, why would you not produce comics with Wolverine to further get money off of that character? My, If I remember correctly reading somewhere... They've already pretty much admitted that they're bringing him back in a year or two. So well, I'm assuming this is are. nothing more than we're going to pump up X-23 and and Sabretooth probably and a couple other characters, Deadpool, Well, the, and, and then we'll bring him back. Well, the theory out there is, is that because uh, Fox has the movie licenses to all the mutant characters that Marvel is really shining a spotlight on the Inhumans in, in the Marvel Universe, which are kind of like mutants, only not. Um, and and they and we've seen a little bit of that starting to happen with Marvel's Agents of Shield, but what the thing that concerns me is the canceling of the Fantastic Four because, like I say, this is a title that's been in the Marvel pantheon since the earliest of days, and I, I they're all they're one of my favorites in the whole world. This is this was one of my favorite comics reading growing up and everything, and what I understand is is sales haven't been that great on that title anyway. No, they have not. But it also does, I mean, it does reek very heavily of, well, we're going to take any legs out from under you that, you know, that people would go. But I think that Fox is going to kill that franchise on its own. I don't think they need any help from Disney. No, I have heard nothing good about this new Fantastic Four Mm-mm. movie. And and that's unfortunate because I want them to make a really good Fantastic Four movie. But they're so hell-bent on trying to take out the fantastic part of it that... um. That, that it just it, it seems to be losing some of its luster. And so I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I agree with what he's saying. It does seem like kind of a jerk corporate move. 
but you know, and I even said that. It, but it, and it makes no sense to me as far as the cancellation of Spectacular Spider-Man and Clone Wars. Clone Wars was, you know, I feel better about that decision now. A couple of years removed from when Disney canceled it, because Clone Wars' time on Cartoon Network was up regardless. It was going to be looking for a new home. And so what Disney did is they took the opportunity to, rather than renegotiate contracts or to keep this thing going, to get fresh with everything Star Wars. It just, all the timing was just right on that. Spectacular Spider-Man was a really good cartoon, and I have no idea why it went away. But they did the same thing with uh, Marvel uh, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, which was a great cartoon, and only lasted. I think it's this model they've got of the, like, these two and three season long series, unless they just take off like Phineas and Ferb. So I don't know that. I don't. Chris, you have kids. Yes, indeed. What? <laughs> what kind of cartoons are kids into these days? Um. Well, Phineas and Ferb. Um. Michael loves Rebels. Mm-hmm. I mean, doesn't ever miss it. And he loved Clone Wars. Um. The little ones are into the Disney Junior ones, and the um, middle kids are into. Um, I mean, Disney has a a really good um, a finger on the pulse of of what kids like. Um, I I don't know. I I think I think that that where um, money comes into play, we peons can't really even conjecture the reasoning behind some of their decisions. But I think it almost always, I mean, I don't know, not even almost, 100% of the time, it has to do with money. Oh, sure. I mean, that's that. it's the almighty dollar that makes everything go around. And, and I, you know, to me, if you're killing off Wolverine to try to hurt the X-Men franchise on the screen, it, it almost seems too petty. Counterintuitive? To, yeah, it seems counterintuitive, and it seems too petty. Um to be uh see i don't i don't think that's why they're doing it i mm-hmm. i mean to me it's you look back they comics do this from time to time they did it with superman they've done it with other characters in the marvel universe where they're we're gonna have a mini series death of wolverine there's gonna be five different covers for every issue your comic book store is probably gonna charge you 20 bucks a pop for the special covers you know it's a big short money grab they can talk up some other characters for a little while and then bring them back in a year or two. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's and sometimes, how... Sorry. Go ahead, Chris. Well, sometimes I just think that they do things like this so that there is conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, definitely. You know, get some publicity going. And, and everyone that is that is whining about the Fantastic Four comic book going away, and I say whining, I shouldn't say whining, everyone that's upset about it is going to take to the internet, they're going to let their voice be heard, and, they're, and, and Marvel's going to see how much do people really care about this. And if there's not enough you know, stirred up about it, then they can leave Fantastic Four kind of dead for a little while, the, the title, that is. I mean, because they're not killing off the characters. They can leave the title dead for a little while and then bring it back with a lot of fanfare. Right. So, um, that, uh, I, and, and now I've just had something sent to me that's blown my mind that apparently I can't talk about. So, <laughs> uh, Teresa. Yeah, yeah. good right to say, Teresa. <laughs> apparently, I can't. Apparently, I can't scoot the. Uh... Well, that that's just not nice at all. No. Swart, hey, I know you're on a show, but she advertises it. That's right. Yeah. That's right. 
by the way, I know you're talking about all this stuff, and here's what's going to happen. But uh, by the way, you can't talk about it. Yeah, I don't. Already has happened. I don't. I don't know why there's a there's a there's a secrecy clause on this thing. I don't know if it's because it's news that another site is getting ready to break, and so we just got to stay on it for that, or if it's um, or if it's just something that doesn't need to be out to the GP, the old general public, IDK. and uh, and of course, just not cool, Teresa. Hey, and of course, let me just call them out again. Daniel and Hindi hits me up on Skype and says, "Teresa said you could tell me." Nice. <laughs> Good try. Good try, sir. Good try. So I, I guess on you know, unfortunately, I, Matthew Ibarra didn't get me worked up on this one. I was really looking forward to getting angry, but um, Teresa Range in. Not Teresa, I'm sorry. Carissa Rangier. No, it's not even that. It's that I kind of agree with what he's saying. I don't, you know, but he just, he's he's making a point from a different place than I'm coming at it from. I'm just saying creatively on the, on the silver screen, Marvel hadn't messed with any of these. And even in the comics world, I'm sorry, Disney, even in the comics, the comics haven't gotten light and fluffy. You know, there's some heavy stuff going on in the comics. Even if they are, even if they did, call, you know, send down, hey, kill kill Wolverine. Let's cancel Fantastic Four because we're going to show these guys. I mean, I feel like if it were something to do with the films and the, and the movie, they'd just say, "Yeah, we're going to cancel all the X books." Yeah, we'll there's bring. just too much money in the X books to be doing that, right? Now, when did refresh my memory? When did Marvel sell to Disney? This it was around the time of Iron Man two. It okay. was it was in the middle. It was after they had formed their own studio, and were doing. The uh, and we're starting the Marvel Cinematic Universe up. I, was, I couldn't remember if that was when Marvel canceled their Max line or not. I don't know. Um, man, so much has has uh, has has come and gone with all of their with all their stuff. I mean, whether it's the Marvel Knights, the Marvel Max, um, it's it, it's just it's one of these things. And uh, you know, Casada had. Casada was great for Marvel for the longest time. I just think that they got so far deep in the hole that there wasn't much they could do to pull out without the you know the power of the mouse, so to speak. And the mouse did did save them rather nicely. Yeah, well, I mean, in a big way. But I think they'd started an uptick with Marvel Studios before Disney ever stepped in and, and finished off the you know the buying of the mouse that sort of thing. Um. Because, because they, like I say, they weren't a Disney property when Iron Man hit. You know, uh, I'm sure they were in talks for the sale and everything else, but they were not a Disney property at that point. Um, and 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 so I think they were on a bit of an uptick. The problem is, is when they were so bankrupt, when they were, you know, filing all these different chapters for bankruptcy, whatever chapters it is, you know, twenty three, ninety two, however it works. Um, the 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 contracts they made when they were licensing out these characters to be used by these other, you know, studios was as long as you have something in production, you have these characters in perpe- in, in perpetuity, you know, you just perpetually have these things. And, uh, and, you know, it was a binding contract and Disney couldn't even get it, you know, couldn't even go and buy them out, especially with the success of the X-Men franchise at Fox. I almost feel like that if Fantastic Four flops, that Disney could step in and say, let us take this off your hands, guys. Um, I, I really hope they do. I wish they would. I wish they could, because I think, I think that Marvel Studios would do amazing things with 
the Fantastic Four and the characters of the Fantastic Four, and then you could see the Silver Surfer come in uh, by the time we get to the Infinity War. And maybe an actual Galactus. Yeah, oh my gosh. <sighs> Carissa has no idea what we're talking about right now. Chris is just I, mean, all... I do a little. <laughs> I got... well, that's my brother's and my husband's territory, though. Mm. But I do enjoy greatly the uh, film adaptations and and i'm fine with it there <laughs> well, we'll leave say, it there all right I'd like, to, I'd like to see marvel get spider-man back too because maybe i'm in the minority here but i did not like garfield as spider-man i didn't mind him as spider-man i hated him as peter parker i didn't like the characterization of peter parker peter parker was never <clears throat> cool and cocky like well I, and he's I, crying all the time in the second one yeah I always felt like Peter Parker was kind of nerdy, and when he put on the costume and became Spider-Man, that's where all his little smart mouth and libs came from. And- yeah, I mean, to an extent, he was... The problem is, is is Peter Parker is just a genuinely good guy. And, and so when he's not in the Spidey suit, he's a good guy, so he's not going to necessarily talk back to his boss. He's going to treat his aunt super respectfully... You know, he's not going to make a lot of waves out in public. But when he's with the people that he cares about and he trusts, he he does bring out a little bit of that Spider-Man personality in him. Um, but not to the extent... You know, I loved Amazing Spider-Man. Amazing Spider-Man 2, I haven't watched since I saw it in the theater. Um, but but I loved the Amazing Spider-Man. I liked what Garfield did with him. But in the second one, I just know he was crying unless he had the mask on. <laughs> I did love... See, that's like a wimpy hero. Yeah, I did love the ending for Spider-Man 2. I think you were talking about that. Yes. Rhino and the... I thought that was a great ending. Yeah, where he... I mean, now Steve was crying at that moment because that's (laughs) everything I want my superheroes to be is when the kid steps in, you know, they've inspired a child and the kid steps in and he was ready to take on the thing and he's like, I got this Spider-Man. I'm like, oh my God, you do have this (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man. Well, maybe this will be more up your alley. Uh, Michael High Nip chimes in. He says, hey, Steve. Yes, not a totally geek-type movie. He's talking about Exodus, Gods, and Kings, Mm -hmm. but Ridley Scott is certainly a geek director. Add Christian Bale and Joel Egerton to the mix, and that is a geek trifecta. Anyhow, I just wanted to try and flesh out some of my thoughts. Scott, Scott certainly captures the time period well with set design, and his depiction of the plagues are spot on perfect. I even like his choice of how God reveals himself to Moses. However, I really think he missed on his whole characterization of Moses. He chose to depict him as a military mastermind who, rather than through his God-breathed words, uses his militaristic attitude to lead the Hebrew uprising against Ramses. There's even a point where he yells at one of the Hebrews, that's an order. Unfortunately, as much as I love the director and the cast, this one was more missed than hit. The version released in theaters was two hours and 22 minutes. Apparently, there's a four-hour cut the studio nixed. I doubt uh, it would have made the film any better, but hopefully someday Ridley will release that version just so we can see his complete vision. I still think the animated feature The Prince of Egypt is the best depiction of the story thus far, although seeing Heston as Moses in the Ten Commandments (laughs) still holds a special campy place in my heart. Here's the living life, 88 seconds at a time. Of course, he's talking about the Force Awakens trailer. May the Force be with you, and that's Michael... (laughs) Hi, Nip. Uh, Carissa, I've not got to see Exodus Gods and Kings. Have you? No, unfortunately. Because you've been so super busy. Ridiculous. But, you know, I think um, he's he's pinpointed a, a recurring theme in movies 
well, especially when they're taking on a, a topic that is either religious in nature or, or sometimes fantastic in nature, but has um, moralistic values behind it. I'm thinking about the Lord of the Rings series, and that is humanizing the um, fantastic characters. And, and, and the Bible certainly depicts um, Moses fantastically and, and divinely inspired. And I think that directors and maybe film adapters tend to think that it, it will be more relevant to humans and to um, current moviegoers if they make the character a little bit more relatable and more human rather than more divine and divinely inspired. And think about the Lord of the Rings characters that are the, the biggest issue that I had with the Lord of the Rings movies was the same issue that he's talking about here, which is just the majesty of the character of Aragorn or even Boromir is completely reduced in, in trying to make them more human. Hmm. Um, anyway. See, that's interesting. I don't want to go off on a Lord of the Rings tangent, but I will. No, 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 it's okay. I thought they captured Aragorn perfectly in, in the movie. Maybe not, maybe not as much with Boromir, but with Aragorn, I mean, because he did, uh, especially in fellowship, um, you know, because he, he, we're introduced to him as a ranger, you know, he's just Strider, you know, and, 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 and there's something about him that has a deeper understanding of everything that's happening where maybe you feel like just a, a ranger shouldn't have the understanding that he's got. But, um, and then as his, yeah. and then as his character unfolds, he steps into that more and more. Sure. In fellowship, he started out. Okay. I think, and he was certainly attractive mm -hmm. and, and, there's no question about that, uh, and oh, mm, but well. <laughs> no, I, I think he, I think that was universal. I yeah. mean, <laughs> ladies, can I please get an amen? <laughs> um, but I, if you read the books and if you study them clo closely, he was never meant to be a, attractive. He was meant to be almost a demigod, um, and. <laughs> Thanks, Teresa. Um, <laughs> and Wendy, by the way. <laughs> and Andy. <laughs> Andy. TMI. TMI. Mm. Um, and and but in Fellowship, I think you're right. I think because we're seeing him as Strider, it's it's an apt depiction but you know uh vigo mortensen didn't read the books he didn't know much about the character he didn't really, really study i thought yeah. he did i thought they all did no he didn't um in fact if you hear um uh well, i'm blanking on names right now but Sa uh Saruman's character christopher, why, lee. christopher lee thank mm -hmm. you um christopher lee is a tolkien semi-expert yes yeah and um, he was really pretty ticked about the fact that a lot of them didn't. I mean, for example, um, Sean Astin never read the books, doesn't know much about the characters at all. Um, he played, uh, he played Sam, Sam, Samwise yeah. Gamgee. Really, um, but anyway, to hear those guys on the commentaries and stuff, like they seemed like they were read up on it. I think that that was Philippa and um, uh, Peter Jackson mm -hmm. really, really, really training them well. Um, but Viggo Mortensen only came into uh, the Lord of the Rings because his son was reading The Hobbit and said, 
dad, you've got to go do this. And he did. And he purposefully didn't want to know much about the characters. And so he came into it after the fact. And he did learn about the characters after the fact. But he approached the characters in his own direction. And I have I don't have a problem with it. I really enjoy the movies. But I do think that that they missed the majesty of Aragorn, who has this insane history of of being um, the descendant of the kings of Numenor and um, and and truly, truly great, you know, cross, crossed lines with the high elves and um, and just uh, this um, this massive history of of amazingness. The the per- I mean, as close to the perfect man as you can get, not man as in single man, but the race of man. Um, was what they were supposed to be depicting, and Boromir also. <clears throat> and as you proceed through the movies, he shows uh, character flaws that he didn't have, and he shows um, questions and doubts that he had, but in a way that seems pedantic and it's a little silly, frankly. Wow. Um, See, I didn't get any of that, and I love the books. And, I mean, I of course, I'm I'm one of those people, I'm like, well, we take three pages to describe a table with Tolkien, but you know, but um, right. but but I love those books, and and I just felt like it was one of the best adaptations of any written material ever brought to the big screen. I think it was great. I don't think that there was, um, I I, I think that there's always going to be something to to tweak and maybe not complain about, but. To, to say I, I I think that this could have been done differently and I think that it's good to have those kinds of discussions I think that's why you're having a discussion about comics and their adaptations in movies as well but um, but yeah I, I think that they missed the boat a little bit with the majesty of the kings hmm. um, but I do love I think that the now we shouldn't be talking about this but I was just wondering have you seen the New Hobbit movie. I've not. I haven't even seen the second one yet. I missed the second <sighs> one around. Yeah, the first no, one. I, it's okay. The first one I was so disappointed in. Yeah. Um, because they, because to me, I love the Hobbit as it is. You know the the book The Hobbit. I just love lighthearted children's. Yes, story. I love it. And instead of the and by taking all the stuff that's in the appendices that you find out is going on, you know, simultaneously with The Hobbit and throwing it in and making it this huge epic it's like okay i see what you're doing there but i just loved what the hobbit as a book was and how and I was, could they sequel the lord of the rings without doing that though i, I don't know that they could have and that's and that's why i was really interested in seeing it and and really kind of excited for it, it was like you know oh it'll be a fun romp through middle earth this time <laughs> It'll, you know, last last time it was all fraught with peril, but this time it'll be a fun it'll be a fun little romp. Lighthearted, yeah. You're talking about, yeah, yeah. You know, um, we should get back to the topic at hand, but I will be really interested to see what everybody thinks about um, the the film the filmography, because I was so frustrated, and I have been a fan of every single movie, and I will defend them all because I think that they've started the conversation into a literary world that doesn't exist or didn't exist before um, these movies came out. Um, I think they're I think they're all of value, but this last film, while I enjoyed it, it took me a solid thirty minutes to get over the fact that they used that new epic camera. And uh, it was just ridiculously distracting to me. I mm. thought I was in a. I thought I was in a preview copy for a while. Really, because it looks. 
Well, you know how the the first five looked mm-hmm. almost like you were in a painting. Yes. And I loved that because it's a fantastic world, and it reminded me of Tolkien, um, and his drawings. And this is not like that at all. It's um, it looks um, I I thought I watch a lot of British television, and it reminded me of British docudramas. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, I I could see this on the Discovery Channel. What what made you think that this was a good idea, especially for the last Hobbit film? But you know, mine is not to judge. Well. <laughs> Well, you know me and camera work. I you know you're going to be frustrated. Yeah, there's a bit of shaky cam going on. I'm oh my god. Well, a little bit doesn't bother me. It's when the whole thing. It's when it's when there's no movement in the scene whatsoever except for that of the camera. That's when it bothers me. But anyhow, uh, well, we're going to move on. Rod, you still with us over there? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. We'll take one more from another Michael. Michael Smith, he says, Steve, in episode 112, you said you thought there would not be another George Lucas in our lifetime. I totally agree, but maybe for a different reason. Yes, he's quite, uh, he is a uniquely gifted storyteller. No, there aren't many people gifted in that way, but I don't think we'll see another George Lucas simply because the studios won't allow it. Someone like that is too risky. Studios that are beholden to their shareholders will never greenlight a project from an unproven creator, no matter how compelling the story might be. The major studios stick with the familiar and will continue to do so for the foreseeable future. That's why we have so many sequels, prequels, and reboots. This makes me afraid there might be another George Lucas out there someday, but we'll never find out. That's just my my opinion. I might be completely wrong. Keep up the great work. I enjoy having a safe place to geek out, and that's from Michael Smith. Now, I'd mentioned this. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been like two episodes ago, two or three episodes ago, where I was talking about this, and I think I was kind of saying a similar thing to what he's... Well, Michael's saying, I think Michael's just saying it better than I am, better than I did, I should say, that that what Lucas accomplished in in being one of the world's most successful independent filmmakers ever uh, is probably something that won't be duplicated. I don't know. I, I mean, it, if it is, it's going to be duplicated in a way that we, we haven't imagined. With technology being what it is today... You know, it's going to be a viral movie kind of thing where someone's like, well, I couldn't get anyone to make it or release it, so I just put it on YouTube for everybody. And it becomes, a you know, some kind of sensation that way. But um, but he's right. The studios seem to be kind of, uh, kind, of, kind of shying away from original material anymore these days, Rod. I, I actually disagree. I was, oh. thinking, I was thinking back to when I was in college, and <laughs> albeit they went off the rails, but... What the Wachowski siblings, I guess we call them now, yeah, yeah, did with with the Matrix, you know, they were pretty much given free reign, and they did a lot of things that weren't being done at the time. You know, that bullet time technology that's now in everything. Yeah, I think we saw it for years in Smallville. I think there are studios out there that are willing to take a chance on creators. It's just maybe there's not another George Lucas yet because there's not another George Lucas. I mean. I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I don't think there's the creative genius out there. I think if there was, studios have no problem giving them a chance because if you put out a movie that's good and makes a lot of money and, and does stuff that nobody's seen before, you better believe that they're going to be really happy to shell out the money for you to try it again. Yeah, I mean, it's... um, it, Daniel in India is, is derailing me once again. I'm sorry. Uh, he said he sent an email... But I, I I don't have it at geekoutonline at gmail dot com, Daniel. Um, I, I think just derailing. I think he's just making I, it up. I think he's being a jerk. Um, the uh, well, I mean, I listen. Here's the thing: the difference between the Wachowskis and Lucas was, as I think the Wachowskis, 
I, you know, I don't know. I don't know much about the making of the Matrix, and I know that what everyone took away was that bullet time thing. And it, when when with Star Wars, it changed, it changed the face of cinema. You know, the the things that Lucas was doing, and even when you get to uh, the Phantom Menace, you know, it changed. It continued to push the medium whether it was in in models work or even digital work and everyone complains about all the digital stuff with the prequels but you know there are more digital shots in movies now that don't seem to have any digital work in them whatsoever than there was in the Phantom Menace and and it wouldn't be that way if it weren't for the pushing of that medium by Lucas and Lucasfilm and ILM and those guys and i just feel like that that type of spirit is is gone because whether it's because of the studios or or what have you. It's just the idea of let's push this further than anyone has pushed it before. And I, I see what you're saying about the bullet time, but I, I think I went to that example because everybody uses it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how long it's been since you've seen that movie. It's been a while for me too. But another one, another scene that jumped out at me when it happened because I hadn't seen anything like that yet was uh, Trinity. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of the movie where she jumps up and then they did that spin camera. Yes, yeah. And I think they they did a lot of stuff and now you see that more often. And for whatever reason, a lot of what they've done is taken off. And uh, there was a, the scene where Neo catches that helicopter, and then they did the slow motion. With there's a lot of uh, stuff that they did in style that they did that I think at the time was really groundbreaking, and now is just so commonplace. Like I was saying, you see it in TV shows now. So I think the studios are willing to take a chance on people. It's just I don't think there's been somebody there that's produced what they want. Yeah, and I mean, in the Matrix in itself, in a concept, as as a concept and as a story, was that first movie was just kind of mind-boggling. But even it was Terminator with computers instead of in, instead of just robots. You know, I mean, regardless of regardless of the special effects, when you break that story down, it's a story that was kind of time-tested and true. And I guess. The same argument can be made against the Star Wars movies and everything. It was just those movies came along at the right time, in the right place, and with the right people, I guess. And I don't know. It's just you, you never see anything like that coming, and I and I don't know that we could ever anticipate anything. Because even James Cameron talking about, you know, with Avatar. You know, Avatar was supposed to be this great thing that revolutionized cinema, you know, and filmmaking forever, and all it's done really is give me a headache because Such I don't... Such a terrible movie. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> Oh my! <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> Everyone, step back. First off, she's trashing. She's trashing Viggo Mortensen. Now she's no, trashing I Avatar. Love him. <laughs> He's easy on the eyes, she says. But... He is, and he is, and he is majestic in a human way. I was just saying he was missing the majestic and the true Aragorn mm, way. But yeah. anyway, moving on. Uh, yeah, Avatar. I've said I've made clear that I think it's just like Ernest goes to camp, only not as funny. Um, Ugh, and annoying. Uh, yeah. What? Avatar is annoying or Ernest goes yes. to camp? Okay. No, Ernest goes to camp is fine. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I love fine. it. Fine. So I was going to say, just fine. Oh, uh, well. No. I, <laughs> Listen, I, I was born and raised in Nashville. I met Ernest several times. <laughs> oh, well. Stop the presses. What was that experience? You mean you met someone like Ernest? No. Or you met no. Jim Varney? Yeah. And, <laughs> At fundraisers, my dad did. Oh and wow! The, and the camp director from Ernest Goes to Camp, and oh, he man. did fundraisers for my dad. Well, at least nobody got hurt. That's what the camp director always said when <laughs> Ernest would be laying under a sign or a. 
or a drink machine. Well, at least nobody got hurt. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got one more email here, and it comes from Daniel. Oh. And Daniel Lindy says, hey, Steve, I wanted to write in and say great shows lately. I mean, everything has been spot on. Really, the only thing I could imagine throwing you off your game is if you were to do something dumb, like an entire episode dedicated to Dune or something. <laughs> but thankfully, I know that won't happen. I mean, you're just too smart to touch that dead franchise. <laughs> so having said that, uh, my friends, let's do what we came to do, and uh, let's talk some Dune. Now, in all fairness, the music you hear in the background is Brian Tyler's score for The Children of Dune, the um, the miniseries from Sci-Fi, because the the soundtrack to the original Dune, not that great. But no, I tried. Sting Sting was in the show, but uh, didn't just, sing. Uh, didn't sing. No. Well, that's where they messed up, if you ask me. Mm. With that one, I haven't I haven't had a chance to watch either of these. I did watch some clips from the original Dune. I didn't realize Patrick Stewart was in that. Yeah, he played he Gurney. Sure was yep, he sure did. Is- and Steve, you that means that you have still not fulfilled a promise to me you made like three years ago. Oh no, what is that? Uh, in one of the very first emails I ever emailed in, um, in on Geek Out Loud, you said you would check out Dune. Dune the series, uh, so the movie, the book, the series, and Taken. Taken the movie? Yeah, Taken the movie, the miniseries that was released on Sci-Fi in 01. Oh, yeah, 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 yes. I, I do remember that. that. Okay, I thought you meant like, I have a very specific set of skills. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking about Liam Neeson's movie. I'm like, I saw Taken. <laughs> you mean Aslan? <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought you. I was like, I saw that movie. Well, I can't believe you're. I didn't know you're such a big fan of that series. <laughs> hey, Carissa, would you like some interesting tidbit there? Yeah. So you know, do you? How well do you remember the miniseries Taken? Pretty well. I you really the, enjoyed it. Do you remember the family that lived in the small town Bement, Illinois? Oh, my Lanta, not that well. Well, there was a small town named Bement, Illinois, in the series, and that is literally 20 minutes from where I live. Oh, cool. Well, yeah, well, here's the thing. I'll tell you, Carissa, way back then, I was probably getting derailed by all... Dune got drowned out by the uh, cavil- by the by the conclave yelling to, to check out Doctor Who. Right. And... I, I, I'm not. I, it doesn't bother me one iota. <laughs> but now I have now... Now listen, here, here's, where we're, here's where we're standing right now. I've not seen the movie or the miniseries, Dune. I have, and I'm using my quote fingers here, read uh, the... Frank Herbert's novel Dune. Audible has a fabulous um, recording. Okay, now that's where we're going to fall on different sides of the fence. Okay. <clears throat> because, <laughs> because my immediately <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was to say, what was that? <laughs> so, well, here I am, and there you are. Um, the. Uh, it it threw me off. I had a hard time because like they they alternated between just the narrator reading and then doing some type of radio production of it. Right. It was a dramatic production of of unabridged, which is impressive. I thought. Right. It was a dramatic production sometimes, but then other chapters was just him reading. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like 
and, it, and I could not figure out, and maybe you'll help me understand this, I couldn't figure out in listening why the disconnect. Why was it in one chapter you could tell, well, here's the Baron, and he's trying to, you know, they're trying to make him sound a little bit like Darth Vader, talking to this person, talking to that person. And then the next chapter... I did not like the way they did the Baron voice. Well, and then the next chapter, it's the same group of characters. It's just the one narrator reading it. It's almost like they didn't get everything done. They're like, well, we'll just fill it in with this guy just reading <laughs> I think the main guy, if I'm not mistaken, is Scott Brick. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to audiobooks at all, I'm sure you're familiar with the guy. Right. And so I think let's just go with the, the tried and true excuse of it was money. Sure. They paid the guys by the line. They ran out well. of money and they said, Scott, you go ahead and knock out the rest of this. Do you think people get paid by the line to do those things? I don't know. No, they don't. They I'm get paid. I've already looked that up. No, okay. So. <laughs> Chris. Google I was that. thinking about doing that actually last year. Um, they get paid by it. Th- there's why are we talking about this? No one wants to know. Never I, mind. I do. I do. I'm okay. curious. <laughs> well, they get paid by um, it, it, their contract rate. You you pre decide. So it's either by the hour if that's what you've decided on, or if it's by the completed book. Okay. So you can you can do it a couple of different ways. All right. Hmm. Um. Now, Rod, Steve, you had opportunity <laughs> to come on to any of the Goldiverse shows and 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 produce, uh, kind of talk about whatever you wanted to. And and my good friend and co-host of Rock Out Loud, the heart and soul of Rock Out Loud, Kristen in Jersey, was convinced you were going to come make us talk the Beatles. Why are we talking Dune? Well, because there is absolutely no way I would donate a dime to talk the Beatles for one. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe Led Zeppelin, but we're not talking the Beatles. Yes. Hey, Mama said. The- Anyhow, um, so what is it about Dune? What's the appeal of Dune to you, Rod? What tell tell us your Dune story? Well, when I was younger, I was always in sports in high school and stuff, and then cut my college years. We'll just leave it at they were fuzzy. Mm-hmm. So as I got older, that is when I finally stepped back and started like, oh, I should read this book or I should, I should watch this movie or watch this series. And so I read Dune as an adult and I really loved it. And I think I was glad that I waited till I was an adult. I think I took more out of it. Mm-hmm. I, I like the whole story. It's a classic story of the Messiah, you know, the savior of the, the universe. But uh I don't know what made this book speak to me so much. Well, I shouldn't say speak to me, but I don't know why I enjoyed this book so much more. I, I would probably say that it was more of Steve or Paul. He wasn't the nicest hero, and I. So I guess that's kind of what I liked. Oh, you. <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't the nicest. He wasn't the nice. He. I don't. He, he was cruel but fair. Okay, and and when you talk about him. You're talking from the standpoint of the entire series at this point. Yes, he is around for the first three books. And okay. Carissa, you have not read past, have you? No, quite purposefully. Now, why? Why is that, Carissa? Because I I came into Dune as a child, um, and the thing that attracted me to Dune was actually the um, fear mantra. 
Uh, the litany against fear, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is that little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. And I hit Dune, and I did memorize that when I was a kid. I read it just now, but I memorized it as a child because I hit Dune at... Um, at puberty, basically. And that was a really important concept to me. It's actually why I got interested in science fiction, period. So I I was interested in Star Trek because of that, because of the Vulcans in Star Trek. And uh, and I was attracted immediately for that reason. And then the idea that there was a, uh, a way to... Um, to conquer your fears, to conquer pain, to conquer uh, all trial and and terror on earth was incredibly attractive to me. And then after that, everything about Dune just perpetuated my interest. I think I also like to, you know, it is an older book. I think the 60s, is that right? Yeah, I, I think um, I, I'll have to uh, hold on a second here. Um, but But I think... Having read a lot of <laughs> Go ahead and let me handle that while you're talking this run. Okay. I was going to say that I think having read a lot of classic sci-fi and just seeing the difference like he was really tackling some pretty heady pretty heady what what's the word I'm looking for stuff. Topics. Topics. Yes, thank you. That's much better than stuff. Mm-hmm. 1965. So, I mean, if you're used to reading books from that generation, I mean, you had your Philip K. Dick, who was a little more concept-oriented, even Asimov, but there was a lot of just pulp written for magazines, chapters at a time that just, you know, they were what they were. You just blew through them and didn't really take a lot out of them. I think this one really tackled a lot of different concepts and ideas. I didn't just realize I didn't answer your question. Why didn't I move on past Dune? I think Dune left so much to the imagination. Um, and reading the book, there was so much that you could uh, that you pictured would happen. I was always terrified, and I think correctly terrified that the reality would disappoint me. I I needed it to be Dune and leave the scope of my imagination open. In in your, okay, now let me ask you this and 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 guys spoiler spoiler spoilers, I don't mind spoilers. Rod, you've said that Paul goes on to be kind of not the nicest person. Well, actually it's Leto 2. Okay. Leto 2. So Paul has twins, a, a girl and a boy. Mm-hmm. And Leto 2 ends up taking what's called the golden path. And basically the galaxy, the universe, the known universe is on a path of unsustainability. Yeah. That has nothing to do with going to the bathroom, by the way. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so there's there's a path that will lead the universe and be able to save everybody. But it's not a very good path. It's not a very desirable one. It's not one you want to do. Right. And Paul kind of steps back away from it, and his son Leto too does it. Okay. So and he so he's making all the hard choices and such as Leto too definitely makes the hard choices, and he definitely becomes the bane of the galaxy. Everybody hates him because they don't see the long term. And he goes on to rule for thirty five hundred years. Okay. Um, Daniel Andy says his baby girl took the golden path on him earlier. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now that's gross so 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 basically then chris in your mind in your imagination 
What was it that you saw? I mean, did you see Paul going on to be this? And by the way, everyone who's not familiar with Dune, Paul, the main character, he is the guy who kind of becomes this Messiah figure. Did you see him going on? No, to, doesn't kind of I'm, become. Okay, I'm is sorry. the Messiah? Well, no question. Is the Messiah not, not God? But he is Messiah. Okay, and for you the, for the Fremen. And you saw him going on being just the benevolent emperor. No, he's not. He's not benevolent at all. Um, but I, I didn't want to find out. I don't think I wanted to find out what. I mean, I I had some spoilers, so I knew what was going to happen to Alia, and I knew what was going to happen to Paul, and I knew what was going to happen to Chani, and I just thought, eh, I'm not happy with any of that. I'd rather just leave doing what it is. So, now, Rod, you're talking about some of these deeper topics and everything that it gets into. Is that what made you move forward in in the books, in the series, with the sequels? Like, whereas Chris has said, I'm going to leave it right here and just let my imagination run wild. Are you just a completist, or I am a completist, but I also did enjoy the series. And so, when the first book ended, I I wanted to know. Well, the second book was entitled Dune Messiah, mm-hmm. so it's like, okay, does he form a cult? Is he like the new L. Ron Hubbard now and starts a whole religion? <laughs> Scientology. <laughs> Careful, Fremen, I'm sorry. Fremen I'm sorry if I just got the podcast sued. That's fine. Fremen Scientology. <laughs> and then. Is, does Arrakis become a, a water, a water planet? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, is he able to save the planet? Is he able to lead the Fremen? Does the Emperor ever decide, hey, I want my old position back. I'm going to come after my <laughs> son-in-law. Now, the Admiral says, Dune 2, it's wormier. <laughs> <laughs> is that true? No, Dune 2 was slow. And then Dune 3 was the chil- Dune 2 was actually Dune Messiah. Dune 3 was Children of Dune, much quicker. That had to do with Leto and uh, Garini? Garimi? No it's been idea. a couple of years. And the two twins. <laughs> and then 4 was slow. That was Leto 3,500 years into the future. And then, Carissa, I think you'll be happy to know that books 5 and 6 were much faster. 5,000 years <laughs> after the original Dune with Duncan Idaho. Right. Yeah, five thousand. Wait a minute, five thousand. These yeah. people live five thousand. Live that long? There is a race of people that they make what's called a golem, mm-hmm. and it's they basically make clones from dead cells. It's okay. really gross. And in originally, for the longest time, the, they would have the physical characteristics, but it would not be that person. You know, it wouldn't have their memory, their their experiences. And Paul, through his prescience, was able to see a path with a Duncan Idaho golem that would remember Duncan Idaho, the old cellular memory that the Benny Gesserit sisters have. Right. So he takes this path, and, and then they figure out that, okay, this is how we do it. You know, if you put this golem under these situations, that's how you can get them to come back to their rich. They will remember who they are. They'll have all their memories. Hmm. So, but, what, okay, I, I, don't, I guess I'm just like, well, why not just keep Paul in the mix then? Well, Paul, uh, Paul. a duplicate Paul does make a appearance oh. way down the road. Actually, two of them. Hmm. And Baron Harkening comes back at the end. I'm just going to spoil Are everything. Are you serious? Here. Yes. Get rid of that guy. Well, it was the people that, uh, that did not like Paul. Even 5,000 years down the future? 
there's uh, 5,000 years down the future, there's a church to Paul, there's a church to his sister. Alia of the Knife. Who was crazy. Aaliyah doesn't give a duke, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we back up and talk about some of the specifics in the... In, I'm, in, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're just kind of going all over the place. I'm yeah. sorry. We're, I, I'm, I'm kind of getting the field in on, on, on the end of it. I, <laughs> so... Uh, so here's the thing. Here was my thing with this book, and and this is just my personal take on it from the get go. It the the whole thing opens with Paul undergoing this examination, um, this test. Jabbar. Yeah. The uh, number one that sounded very Star Trekky when I heard it, and I'm like, okay, it does. Um, You're right. and, but then the minute like they start even whispering about the chosen one and. And him being what? What is the? Um, yeah, that guy. Um, the minute they start talking about being, you know, him being the tesseract or whatever, I'm like, okay, so this is who he's going to be. And then they get to Dune, and the Fremen have a similar thing. I'm like, okay, so he's going to be this as well. And and I almost, I, I guess it's just based on being so. You know, I mean, because these days, you you know, the hero's journey has been done to death. And not, I'm not saying it was then, but I'm saying that, and in, in because of being a Star Wars fan, you know, Joseph Campbell's always in your face and mythology's always there. But, and so I'm like, okay, I see where we're going to go with this. Um, and, and that's what's so fascinating about it. Because the cynicism is embedded into the book. Uh, explain. Okay. Because I didn't feel like the book was being... I felt like I was being cynical. I felt like I was being cynical, not the book. (laughs) No, the cynicism is bred into the book. So you're talking about, uh, about, about the Messiah character. So we think the, the... the entire series, the entire book, is a gigantic exploration of animals versus humans. And we see that theme repeating itself over and over again throughout the book. And the Gom Jabbar is a test where the Reverend Mother, um, Gaim Helen, wait, I'm not saying that right. Gaim uh, Yeah, thank you. Um, is. Shalika Shalakum. Careful. <laughs> is um Careful. is testing Paul to see if uh if he is human and, and Rod, do you want to spoil who she actually is? Who she actually is? Yeah. I didn't think she there was is, any She is Jessica's mother and Paul's grandmother. We find that out later on. But yes. um but she 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 is she is testing Paul. She tells Paul that she is going to test him to find out if he is a human. And the entire book, you find out that the Bene Gesserit, who are a descendant of the ancient humans, I mean, we get right away um, through various literary clues that we are we are we are intended to to imagine that this is Earth, the our universe the universe mm-hmm. of humans right. in the distant future. And we get that through things like the Orange Catholic Bible and, right. and familiar names and things like that. Um, and uh, at some point, 
there was a great war called the Butlerian Jihad. And uh, after that war, there were only two schools that remained, the school of the Guild Navigators and the, schools, the school of Bene Gesserits. And now the universe is um, divided into great houses. And the house that Paul is part of is the House Atreides. And uh, it's, one of the, it's one of the top houses. And, the how, it, and, and they, they can even vie for the ruling house, but they're not the ruling house. They just are very powerful, very loyal, very good house. There's no question that that Leto, Paul's father, and um, House Atreides is is we are intended to believe that they are uh, they are good in every way, and uh, and as many ways as they are able to be. And then there's the evil house, the House Harkonnen, that mm-hmm. still exists. But the the two schools backing up are the Bene Gesserit and the Guild Navigators. The Guild Navigators are, um, they have a monopoly on the thing that that uh, that everyone in the houses needs, the one thing, which is to be able to travel from house, from, from throughout space, to be able to travel through space. The Guild Navigators control that. There's no one else. You cannot get off your home world unless you have uh, a relationship with the Guild Navigators. Right. The Bene Gesserits are a sisterhood of... Um, <clears throat> of manipulators they are they are religious in in theory and in almost in name but and they definitely believe things but really what they are are manipulators and their sort of grid that they're working that they that they see the world through they have a goal of creating the Kwisatz Haderach and so they have they have breeding programs and they're they have breeding charts and and all of the women that are trained Bene Gesserits are trained to be very much in control and they have all of these um, they have all of this training that helps them be more aware of their surroundings and be able to, to be intuitive in um, very small details um, and uh, and the and the but but behind the scenes the people that are running the the women that are running the, the Bene Gesserit schools are basically trying to genetically create the Kwisatz Haderach and they want to create him so that they can put him into power and control the universe. They want to make him the emperor and spoiler alert that happens, right? But but they don't get what they want. Right. They want to they want to do it they're wanting to do this under their control and under their power and right. and their dominoes kind of start falling when Jessica decides she's not going to have a girl, she's going to have a boy. Well, she loves Lido. Right. And Lido wants a son. Yeah, you always and, have to have a little bit of love in the story. Mm-hmm. But, well, you know, I just watched Scrooge last night, and as they say in that, put a little love in your heart. Um, <laughs> well, no, what I, and what I'm saying is is that that kind of begins on that end of the spectrum, on the from the Benny Jesuit side, that starts to kind of unravel their little schemes. It does. And they're, but they are, they are master manipulators. Mm-hmm. And they... You get the impression right away that they don't believe what they're purporting. Which so, okay, which that brings me to this question. Then I'm sorry to interrupt you. Mm-mm. You know, I'm just I'm trying to do this as much without, you know, without getting into full recap because it's like when Rod's talking to me, he does the same thing you're doing. When Rod was talking, he's like, "All right, here's what this is." And I'm like, "I know, I get it." <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking of people who don't know. I understand. This, and I thought we were trying. To we are. Well, we are. We are. But I mean, I listen. I just it's it's worth checking out. I I'm just I'm wanting to dig into this because I do have other questions about this. Now, Rod, right. 
I want to get your opinion on something. Are we to believe that in the universe and the world that is set up by Dune, that there is a god or a higher force that are, that's controlling these things outside of the control of, of the Bene Gesserit, outside of the control of everything else that's going on? I do not think so, no. Okay. Carissa? I disagree. You disagree. Go. I'll both of you have at it. Fight. Go, Rod. Well... I think I remember reading somewhere that Frank Herbert was not the most religious person, and I think that the Orange Catholic Bible that is referenced was a direct stab at the Catholic Church. Am I wrong, or do you remember reading that anywhere? I didn't read that. I don't think it is, but go ahead. Well, no, that, that's just what <laughs> I was going to say. It was like, I, I don't recall, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't recall really any references to a higher power. There isn't. That, they talk a lot about uh well in the la- in the latter series they talk about some other outside forces but none of them as a higher power per se but the thing that i think leads us to to at least be able to conjecture that there is a higher power involved is that uh that the sham that jessica talks about the missionara protectiva um which which is what the Bene Gesserits use to to figure out how to, um, it's kind of like implanted knowledge. It's all, it, they, they have missionaries that go out into the, into the various areas and, and implant Messiah prophecies into a people. And so they, they purport it, they teach it, they don't actually believe it. They just are using it to get their bolt holes into a community. So she knows the right trigger words to say to shit out Mapes on Dune in order to say, oh, Okay, so she she believes in uh, Messiah prophecy G four. Okay, now I know what to say, um, and uh, and 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 the shout out Mace responds correctly, but also responds uh, um, with such with with a belief that ends up turning out to be true in a way that the Bene Gesserits did not foresee. Nothing that is foreseen. And is manipulated ends up being correct, ends up being the full picture. And even what Paul is trying to achieve, which is to avoid jihad, that's his goal supposedly all along. He ends up walking right into and and uh, and allowing it to happen. And um, and you think you know the race consciousness that's happening, um, maybe kind of is being directed by a higher power. Well. Yeah, he does definitely walk right into the jihad. <laughs> <laughs> Headlong. <laughs> Headlong right into it. It's it's hard to really say because I there's just really no like I said, there's no reference of a higher power and there's almost a reference of when you, when you go further into the series and you start finding out other things. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he's purposely written religion out of the out of this series. Yeah, and I think in writing, trying to write it out, it's it's making it even more apparent. Now, I don't. Let's not talk about religion so much because if you want to talk about religion, then we have the Bene Gesserits and we have the Guild Navigators and we have the Fremen, and they all have different beliefs and different histories. But but a higher power that's kind of managing and directing everything. Um, I think we are not maybe intended to believe, but it's there and it's apparent. And I guess that's my question because, like, through it all, there are definitely these, these, everyone, you know, has an opinion of the Bene Jesuits. Everyone has a, has an opinion, the, whether they're witches, you know, I mean, they get called the Bene Jesuit witches a lot, uh, or whether they're revered. Um, 
you know, in it in in a world where uh you know, and Rod turned me on this, this was something I didn't realize is is was the fear of computers and that sort of thing, and that's why you have the the guys uh trained and brought up to be able to think like a computer. The mentats. The mentats. That was the word I was looking for. Um and and so on one hand you've got this this weird fear of technology but using the technology and on the other hand you've got this this religious sect that is obviously kind of disdained and and kind of but at the same time kind of revered and so I didn't know and and there's never any higher power really mentioned and so I didn't know if, you know if we're supposed to be led to believe that there is some kind of higher power in this universe at work and uh yeah I tend to think that you know that Herbert didn't mean for us to, but but maybe in not meaning for us to, as you said, Chris, it gets it it, it becomes kind of apparent that it is. It's definitely in there. Um, mm-hmm. This was not this book for me was not something that I was I was expecting because it is this it is this story of political intrigue. You know more than anything else, it's assassinations. It's uh, it's political machinations behind the back, and it, it's there's a lot of build up to a quick climax. That to me, I I was looking forward to. I really dug Leto. I really got into the character of Duke Leto Atreides. I really like this man. I thought he was a good man, and and I appreciated what he brought to the table. Don't 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 discount what I'm saying because I love him, and I don't want to be you know turned to turn turn around on him. And I was just kept hoping against all hope that he would uncover the real source of the treachery in his house. And when he didn't and he died, I'm like, all right, now it's time to avenge your father's death, Paul. Go do that, and it'll be great and wonderful. And though that happens, it never really happens. Um, you know, it becomes more about this kid's... Everything that happens in this book is to is to push Paul further and further into becoming, you know, Moadib. And the one who points the way. Okay, I don't. That's I, that's Paul's role. He's yeah. the one who points the way to the jihad, which is the cleansing of the races. Uh, I'm lost now. I don't remember anything about I, the only thing I remember about cleansing of the now. See, now you sound like now you're sound like a 1940s dictator. Um, it. The only thing I remember was they were talking about just wiping the Fremen off of Dune. Well, that was what the Harkonnens wanted to do, right? Well, what is the cleansing of the races in Dune? Because this is something that's over my head all of a sudden. <laughs> I don't remember this at all from the book. I just thought Paul was going to lead and, and free these people from the from the oppressive boot of an evil emperor. Well, Rod, you want to? Actually, you go ahead and cover this. So. Oh snap! Don't see. No, um, you start okay. talking cleansing of the races, and I get okay, uncomfortable. I will. No, no, I'm no. happy to. I'm I mean, gonna, I will. Take, I'm going to take a hard break real quick. Uh oh, where are you going? I'll be right back. Um, Rod's gone. He had some rabbits to see too. Oh, okay. I guess. Um, the 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 race consciousness. So the very idea that that the races that exist in the books. So the Harkonnens and the uh, Fremen and the Arakan and the I'm sorry I said Fremen and Arakans, but actually they are two separate. Um, the um, the Atreides and the the Imperial House and the Bene Gesserits and the Guild Navigators and the manipulations that the Bene Gesserits have put through for 90 generations trying to create the Kwisatz Haderach, mm-hmm. crossbreeding and cross 
etc has has basically caused the universe to be so crossbred that they are uh, they are no longer um, functioning well they are not functioning peacefully there and so the race the race consciousness of the universe which is I think kind of the higher power or or at least it's it's pointing the way to the higher power has created the Kwisatzatarat in Paul, but he is not just the Kwisatzatarat. He is more than that. He's a freak. He's not what they expected. He is going to come through and uh, and point the way through his prescience and choose his path. And I guess his sons end up doing the same thing in the future. But the path that he chooses and the path that he ends up on is the path to jihad. And he is all the time talking about trying to avoid jihad. Um, trying to avoid the war that's going to cleanse the people and 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 ruin the the breeding charts and and ruin what the Bene Gesserit have tried to do. Um, but that's exactly where they end up. So the race consciousness is is at, at my understanding at least is that it is it is what has led them to this point. And that it is going to be the cleansing of the, uh, it's going to be the massacre of billions of people. And they'll have to regather and the universe will be co looking completely different on the other side. But the universe will be better for it because they will not be so manipulated. They will, they'll basically have to, it's like the atomic bomb. They're going to have to start over. Uh, Mama, I mean, okay. Here's 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 where my silence comes from. Because this is what I got out of this book. <laughs> this kid this kid was special. He goes to a planet where he's also special and has some kids and beats the they emperor die. and beats the emperor. One of them did and beats the emperor. And I'm like, "Okay." And they all live happily ever after. That's what I got from this book. And now I'm hearing this mess about cleansing. And I mean, I remember the term jihad, but I always saw the jihad as the Fremen taking over, you know, taking back Dune, basically. And, and doing... So what did you think about Paul's prescient visions and the paths <clears throat> he was chosen? Did you just kind of skim over those parts? Well, it, it was a thing where I was like, I'm like, he's seeing all these possible futures. Because to me, the thing I took away most of that is he never knew where he was. You know, it was always what what stuck out to me about those moments was his struggle to maintain um, a realization of the here and now versus all of these visions of the future and, and the road and the paths they were taking in, in those moments when, you know, he talked about his confusion because the path was gray at this point. He didn't he couldn't see the next few minutes and he you know, and, and it was a matter of seeing beyond. And and, and that's kind of the thing. I took away from that was here's a guy here's a guy who who lives in in a state of mind where he is so aware of what's happening down the road that he's he he's having a hard time keeping his hold on the here and now and I guess that kind of captured my imagination about his character and, and it's not that I skimmed over it, it was just that I was like that's the point that I got from it, and I thought they were trying to drive home. It's just that he's, it's almost like he was going crazy. I always felt like he was moving at super speed. So he is the, he can almost exist outside of time when he's in one of his prescient dreams, and uh, he can see the paths in mm -hmm. front of him, and everybody else around him is just so slow they don't see it. 
Well, but see, and then it comes back to, because they would get in these tangents about it, I just like Yoda summed this up great when he said, "Always in motion is the future." Can't we just can't we just go that? It always comes back to Star Wars from these guys, Rod. I mean, is am I just an idiot? I took I took a twelve week course on it. That's the oh, way I got that. <laughs> okay, all right. So we're getting the condensed version of a twelve week course. Rod, are you back yet? With from your I'm, rabbit? I'm back. Yes. Are your rabbits okay? Yes, they are still alive. I have not skinned one yet. Yeah. <laughs> See, Rod. Here's the thing. I mean, did you know it was this? De- I mean, are you into it this deeply? Or is I? I took. I see. Chris is like she's really studied the first book, whereas I've kind of, I've got the overall series, and I just I really enjoyed the overall series. The second book was a struggle for me. the The fourth book was a struggle, but then when I took the whole series, as as the whole when I looked at the whole series together, that's when I really really got into this series a lot was when I looked at the overall this is what he was trying to do this is where he wanted to take it and I agree with the Admiral too it's it's something the more you read the more you're going to take out of it Mm -hmm. and I do think that if you watch please don't watch the original Lynch version I want to though I want to watch that one so bad because everyone says it's so bad oh it's it's I mean I don't care about where it misses the boat it it has such a nostalgic um, value to me and I and I think that um, I just loved seeing Patrick Stewart in it. I loved seeing Sting in it. I loved. I thought that the way that they depicted Jessica was beautiful in that um, version. I thought Paul was less annoying than he is in the book um, in that version. Paul, by the way, would later go on to play Sky's father in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yep. Have you already mm-hmm. told me that, Rod? No, but okay. I'd, I'd completely just... I. You say that, and I'm like, yeah, of course he is, and I just didn't. Have, he he also together. voiced Superman in one of the direct to uh, DVD animated movies from Warner Brothers. He was also in uh, How I Met Your Mother. He was. He was the captain. Yeah, that they were terrified of. That's right. That's right. Um, anyhow, <laughs> but if you if you watch that if you watch the miniseries, I think it does a better job of. of giving you an idea i mean it's something that some of the concepts when you see them acted out maybe you understand a little bit more yeah i agree with that i thought it was a little too cartoony i just didn't like the um i didn't like the cinematography well i've seen i've seen some clips here and there as i was getting ready for this and i saw like the, the shield fight between paul and gurney and i was like what what are those shield? Why? And this movie came out in 1980 and five, I believe. And it's like by that point, by that time, and you could have done better shields than that. Everybody, are Come you on. talking? To, are you talking the original one? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The block, well, and they, the the, yeah, yeah. The the weird like Minecraft blocks. Yeah, yeah. That is, it's like Minecraft. Yes, <laughs> not good. And and that's the thing. What I'm saying is, I was like, as I was as I was watching this clip, I'm like. Oh come on! This was 1985. By this time, we'd seen Death Stars blow up, and we'd seen Ewoks defeat an empire. We, you know, you could do better shields than this. And once they get to Arrakis and they're with the Fremen, it it seems like the whole. And I've never, I have no personal experience with this, but I suspect it seems like the whole. It it seems like the the film creators were just on a very long trip. Well, it's David Lynch. Yeah, I was getting ready to say Lynch. Yeah, it's it's David Lynch. <laughs> um, now the, the shields always crack me up because I don't know how well they explained it in the book. I I, I 
since I've read, I've read them Not all. Not very list, well. I've read them all, listened to them all. I don't know exactly what point they start explaining the shields. But it's funny because they don't, if you try and use a laser gun on a shield. It'll, blow, it'll feed big, back and blow you up. Yeah, big explosion. Yeah. And so they're basically for hand-to-hand combat. Right. But you can still get through a shield. Slowly. If you, slowly. Right. So I can't, like, jab at you, but I can slowly get my knife in there. So yes. the whole shield's always crack me up. Like, oh. Okay, but here's the thing. As someone who has grown up with Star Wars and Star Trek, I feel like I understand the workings of a shield. <laughs> I, 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 that did, none, of, none of what they were saying about shields gave me any problem at all in this thing, except for this fact. If I've got an enemy somewhere out in the desert, I'm going to toss a shield Turned on, turned to the on position out in the midst of them, and and caused them to get eaten by some worms. <laughs> yes, I feel like that was not a tactic that ever got used in a good way. <laughs> in no. this. Well, they have thumpers for that. Yeah, I think when you, I think the movies do a much better job with the they thumpers do. and and yeah. showing what riding a sandworm entails. You right. know, like they I basically they they get these things, these thumpers, and you, you set it in the sand, and it just bounces into the sand and makes these noise and these right. worms come up and they, steady rhythm yeah they have the maker's hooks as they call them and yep. so they climb on the back of these worms with these scales and they just pull it back mm-hmm. they just pull it and seeing it on a movie i think really yeah you is, understand the it, worm doesn't want to get the sand in so right they just stay upright yeah That's i got it. yeah i got yeah. all that even from the book what i'm saying is is they, a better picture in the movie, though. They made a big, big deal about how you can't have a shield out in the desert because you turn it on, and and the worms are like it, it drives them right to it. Like they are super attractive. Whatever the energy or pulse these shields are putting out, the worms come to it. And I'm like, well, just throw it. If I've got a group of enemies coming at me in the desert, I'm going to throw a shield at them. But they could put a sh- they could throw a shield at them and then and then fire at it and it. It's a giant bomb, which is what they do. Yeah, right. but I think if you're talking like the Harkonnens are going after the Fremen, then good luck finding the Fremen because right. they're they're not going to see them. I mean, they thought how many yeah. did they think there were, and there were millions. Well, I'm talking about them. the Fremen going after the Harkonnens. If the Harkonnens were out there after them, but you they know, just won't even go out there. I think they just use guerrilla tactics on mm-hmm. them. Well, I think that'd be a great guerrilla tactic. Like all of a sudden, there's this this belt with a shield turned on around it, and you're like, hey, hey, oi! Why is that bit right there? <laughs> and then the next thing it. you know, you're being swallowed by a huge, huge butt worm. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Like a moth to a flame. Hello, worms. <laughs> so, uh, th- it, now these worms in this, th- they create the spice, correct? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is, is spice basically worm poo? It's worm saliva. Okay. Worm, right? Worm slobber. Yep. All right, yeah. worm slobber. And it's it's basically just a drug. That's all it is. Right, right. It prolongs life. In some mm-hmm. people, they get mild prescience. Mm-hmm. And Paul, and they, he gets insane prescience. And that's that's what the guild navigators are. That's why they right. have to have the spice. So I was explaining that to you, Steve. Mm-hmm. Right. It's basically they sit in a glass bubble, and it's just a spice gas and over time, their anatomies even change because of this constant exposure to spice. And they have enough prescience that they can jump. You know, they can see, okay, if we, if we jump through space, I can understand where we're going to land. I can figure out where we're going to land and we're going to be safe. I'm not mm-hmm. going to jump us into an asteroid. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not, I can't see who's going to win the election next week, but, you know, it's a specialized prescience. They can navigate space. 
so they have to have the spice. That's what the constant the he who controls the yeah he who controls the spice controls the universe because if the, as Chris was saying earlier with the guild navigator, you had to have the guild navigators to get anywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. If the guild navigators can't get spice, then you've essentially shut down right. the workings of the entire universe. Yeah. So the guild navigators are the best monopolizers of any. Any any power, even more even more power, they have more power than the emperor. But what I don't know why this is the this is the biggest confusion to me. But no one clued in until this book in the entire history of the universe that if you just control Arrakis, that you control the guild navigators. I think they I think they did. I think the emperor was always he'd let the Harkonnens because he knew the Harkonnens were brutal and they. They always thought that that was the best way to get the spice. So he's like, you do your thing. We'll turn a blind eye to the atrocities that you're doing as long as you continue to make the spice flow. But they never were willing to make the sacrifice that Paul was willing to make. Well, that, yeah. Right. That's the whole point to me. It's like, I mean, I I totally get that from a, a we're, we're scared, you know, it, we're no one was willing to make that first step or that threat or even, you know, follow through with it if they did make the threat the way that you get the idea that Paul would have been. And that is, hey, do what we want or we're going to blow your spice up. We'll drown your worms. That's right. And yeah. so and so I feel like, you know, and the last thing you want is a drowned worm. And Lord well, knows. And, and that's so, how you get the water of life. That's right. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Poison. Um, poison. <laughs> they be poison worms. Um so what what I'm saying is is it's that thing of of mutual fear, you know. Right. We right. Cold War. Right. Basically, we both got our finger on the button, so let's just work together. And Paul's like, "Oh no, I've got my finger on the button. I'm about to push it if you don't do what I want you to do." Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's I'm pretty pr- cool. I'm pretty fine living it here. I guess I like it here. They worship me. Yeah. What I thought so I don't was need one to go of anywhere. the most one of the most interesting scenes if we're going to jump to the end, towards the end of the book mm-hmm. is the um the fight scene with Paul and Fade Rautha but right before that when um the emperor commands his assassin Fenring Count Fenring to try and kill Paul what do you think about that scene Rod oh, I I thought it was funny that he's like oh, do it and he's like no I don't think so I know better <laughs> well except for <laughs> He specifically says, "I know I could kill him." I mean, he thinks that we get a we one of the one of the literary techniques that Herbert uses throughout the book is that we get the reader gets into the mind. This is one of my favorite parts about the book. We get into the mind of we we are constantly jumping into the the heads of our characters, so we are hearing what they're thinking, and we get a picture of Fenring right um, right then. He look he's he thinks, "I know I could kill him." Paul, who has seen prescient visions even of his own body, has never seen Fenring in any of his visions. And we know that Fenring is a could have been Kwisat Sadrat. He was a failed genetically eunuched um, Kwisat Sadrat. He's, he couldn't be a Kwisat Sadrat. He's almost an anti Kwisat Sadrat, but he is an assassin and he is capable of killing Paul. We, it's very clearly stated. And yeah. he decides not to. And I don't, and I think like that—that's a question. Did he decide not to because he uh, knew that killing Paul would immediately lead to the death of the emperor, and his ultimate job is to protect the emperor, or was it some kind of a prescient awareness elsewhere? You also got to be nervous about hey, these fremen are. Uh, there's a lot more of them than we thought. 
Sure. They've just ridden sandworms into our city and torn everything up. And if I kill their messiah, how is this going to end for us? Will they follow through on his threat? And oh, I think that that would have definitely led to the jihad. But I think anyone, anything that they would have done at that point would have led to the jihad. It was I, already happening at that point. I think that was him just, I think this is probably the safest course of action. Is to yeah. ride Paul. Which is interesting. On a, on a side note, you were talking about how he, his prescience was blinding Paul, or, or Paul was blinded by him in his prescient vision. I know, it comes up in later books. Yeah, in later books, the Atreides' <laughs> descendants are... <laughs> You're just laughing, Steve. I am. I am. I'm like, cause Chris is like, I know it comes up in later books. <laughs> but, she, but she won't read them. Chris, I hope that you at least consider. I'll consider it. It's just, I, I, I am very attracted to the, to, to the Dune book, and I don't want anything to mar that. I just, I don't want to talk about Alia going crazy. I think, I think she is one of the coolest characters. Well, she's a nutty little girl. She goes crazy? Oh, well, you, th- you think about this. I mean, she was in her mother's womb and completely aware. She had ancestral memories of her female descendants. For 90 generations. While she's in the womb. Almost from the, from, from, you know, embryonic stage. Right. I mean, I get that, but... So, talked about seriously messed up. Yeah, but to me, though, what that... What what I read out of this little girl is she's going to grow up to be like this amazing, you know, super wise, super not crazy. I would have loved that. I would have gone in that direction yeah, with this little girl. I would girl. have too. Mm-hmm. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Well, that's disappointing. Exactly. Well, exactly. In, wouldn't it be better the way you said? Yes. In, yeah, in, I agree. In later books, they actually use the ancestral memories. Almost, they will almost revert into their ancestors. You know, at one point the twins. That's weird to me. It, the, the twins, Leto Two and and Garini. 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 But are like, you? Wait, actually, wait a minute, Chris. Are you? Are you googling that? Yeah, I'll google it. Let me google that for you. <laughs> Go ahead, Rob. Well, she like the daughter will actually channel Cheney and will allow Cheney's memories and her consciousness to the forward, and Leto would do the same with Paul. And so that's oh. kind of what happened with Aaliyah was her Whoa. ancestors' personalities would come forward and, and she wasn't able to uh, build up a wall in her mind to mm-hmm. keep these other voices out. Ganema. Ganema. Yeah. It, it's, it's, but, you know, it's actually one of the saddest or most touching scenes in the, in the first book um, that when, when two-year-old... Alia is talking about that. She and 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 her and she touches her mom right then, and her mom knows what's going on, um, because when they touch, they they know exactly what the other one is thinking. Um, but uh, she she says, "I did not know how to hide from that knowledge." In the and we're talking about you know three inches long, tiny human being inside of her mom where she should have been safe mm-hmm. and she should have been protected and she should have been allowed to develop. And we know from human experience when children are not allowed to develop, their brains are not allowed to develop at the correct stages, at the correct times, if they are thrust into a world where where they, are, where they know things that they shouldn't have to know, where their innocence is destroyed too soon, it really messes them up down the road. We'll just think about that only exponentially worse. Hmm. 
Well, I, I hate that she goes crazy. <laughs> I just hate that she goes crazy because I dug her. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, She's a freaking cool character in the book. She really is in that first book. And, and again, yeah. I you know, um, let, let's let's get a little surfacey because that's where I like to stay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um, one of my favorite characters in this book was Gurney. Oh, Gurney yeah. Halleck. I just, I dug this guy. To me, he's almost the hand solo of of this story because he's he's the most grounded normal person around to me in, in everything that's so going loyal. on yes and and the loyalty that he has there is just so great and so i was surprised to see him played in in david lynch's dune by patrick stewart it was here um and i was also surprised to see that patrick stewart was just as old in 1985 <laughs> as he is in 2014 i remember He's thinking so the same thing true. <laughs> I mean, he did he come out, you know, at, did he have a little ring around his head as a baby, you know, like this is the uh he has some not aged. Still bald a little young, Steve. Well, All right, you know, and it's not just about being bald. His face looks the same now as it did then. There's no getting around it. He made a bad he made a good deal. <clears throat> he must have. He must have. Um who we we've talked about Aaliyah. Who are some of you guys' favorite characters, Rod? Uh, I did like Paul, of course, in this mm-hmm. one, but I really dug Leto, too, down the road. And a lot of people love to say Duncan Idaho, and I think I remember, Carissa, you saying that he was yours, but... No, but I do like him. But I I really dug Leto, too, down the road. Mm-hmm. Duncan Idaho, in my mind's eye, because I'd not seen any... I pictured him as, and this may go over both of your heads, it may go, especially yours, Carissa, I don't know... I just, in my mind, pictured Man-at-Arms from He-Man. <laughs> I watched the He-Man show when I was a little girl. Yeah. And and part of that might be because Man-at-Arms' real name was Duncan. But <laughs> I'm just... And he kind of served the same role mm-hmm. as Duncan Idaho. And uh, and so, yeah. So I just pictured him as that. Chris, who are some of your favorite characters in this book? Well, when I was little, Alia was my favorite character, mm-hmm. without question. Um, but... I really, really am attracted to the the character of the Mentats and especially Thufir, um, and and the tragedy of his story, um, and of course Paul. I, I really like Paul, and I like Chani in the book. Cannot stand her in the movie, but really, really like her in the book. Um, really, in the movie, she's not likable. I don't like the way that she's played by... I'm forgetting the girl's name. Oh, I shouldn't have got got away from the IMDb. Yeah. Um, She's really famous. I mean, I should know her name, but... um, I just think she... I think she's she's annoying. I find her annoying. And I really like um, the character of Liet Kynes in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, I think his his story is is so interesting. Who is Chani's dad? And... uh, and and then Liette. Liette is a great character. I was going to say, too, I meant to say when we were talking Duncan Idaho, if you've read any of the prequels or I guess they're called prequels that I'm not a big fan of Kevin J. Anderson, mm. but the backstory of Duncan Idaho was that he was a slave on the Harkonnen planet. Wow. Yeah, okay. All right. And so that's why he hates the Harkonnen so much, and that's why he's so intensely loyal to, to the Atreides. To the Atreides, it's because they're the ones that got him off planet and away from the Harkonnens. Well, and we find out with um, 
with Gurney that his sister was basically killed in a Harkonnen pleasure house. And that's why he is so intensely loyal to the Atreides. There's no question about how evil the the Harkonnens are. And now, Rod, I did not catch this as a child. I don't know why I didn't, but hope I'm glad I didn't. But I never realized until as an adult I read the book that Baron Harkonnen is a pedophile. Oh, absolutely. Yes. You, 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 well, I remember reading that and going, I probably would not have caught that. <laughs> yeah, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And that he is abusing his nephew. He's he's abusing Fade Ralph. I never mm-hmm. caught that until I was a girl. And it, yeah, the, well, there's a lot of times when you're reading a book or, or something, and as you get older and you reread it or a movie, and then you're like, ooh, I missed that the first time around. And like Steve said, now I'm a little uncomfortable. <laughs> right, right, yeah, it's it's not good. I just want a, a couple of the uh, the, the uh, names in this in in the movie in the in the Lynch film that just I mean it really blows my hair back. Um, of course, we mentioned Patrick Stewart. Uh, Max von Ma- Max von Cito is there. Um, uh, where, of course, we mentioned Sting. Um, oh, where's what's the guy's name? Al from uh, right, Dean right. Stockwell. Dean yeah, yeah, Dean Stockwell's in there. I'm just looking at these things, and I'm like, oh my gosh, at some of these people that are in here. Uh, the girl who plays uh, Cheney oh. is Sean Young. That's right. And she uh, she's been in a few things, but the uh, the um, let me uh, what's Shadout Mapes is Linda Hunt, mm-hmm. who is the tiny little lady from NCIS Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. You know the principal from um, mm-hmm. Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> I'm just looking at these names. I'm like, this is an amazing little vortex of just people. In this thing, <laughs> yeah, it had been fun. It is blowing my hair back to see to see these who's who, you know who's in this thing. But um, I also have found this because I was real curious about the the um the the, the relationship to Star Wars because immediately a desert planet you know makes me think of Tatooine and just wondering how much Lucas was um <clears throat> was was inspired by some of this. And um, I found this. Lucas has often acknowledged Dune as an inspiration. In early drafts of the Star Wars script, the influence was much more obvious. The story was full of feudalistic houses and dictums. The treasure of the princess was guarding... Or the, pre- the treasure of the princess was guarding wasn't the Death Star plans, but a shipment of Aura Spice. Of course, the final version of Star Wars Dune is, is related to Dune mostly in spirit, a science fiction heroic fantasy treated seriously. Of all the ideas that Lucas inherited from Frank Herbert, the subtle lesson was how to use science fiction to create myth. Um, and here, here are a few of the lesser borrowings. It says Princess Leia, of course, Princess Aaliyah. Uh, the villain turns out to be the hero's father. The villain turn in Star Wars in the Dune. The villain turns out to be the hero's grandfather. Um, moisture farmers on Tatooine, dew collectors on Dune. The spice mines of Kessel are mentioned. Uh, in Star Wars twice, in the original Star Wars. First off, uh, 3PO mentions them. like, we'll be, we'll be sent to the Spice Mines of Kessel, smashed, and who knows what. And then Han talks about making the Kessel run less than 12 parsecs. Uh, and Spice is the most valued commodity in the universe. And Dune, Jedi Mind Trick, the Jedi ability which controls the action of others, and the voice by the Bene Gesserit, 
Um, I never made that connection with those two, but I guess so. The Jedi Bindu, the Jedi training technique, which gives them excellent internal control as well as supernatural prowess in combat. The Prana Bindu, the Bene Jesuit training technique, which gives them external inter- <laughs> excellent internal control as well as supernatural prowess in combat. So there's all the, and there's several other things. Um, Jabba is a swir- is a worm slug thing about 15 feet long with human-like facial features, arms and hands who sits atop a dais. Lado II, God Emperor of Dune, is a worm slug thing about 15 feet long with human-like facial features, arms and hands who sits atop a dais. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's I'll a give lot you a little, of similarities. I'll there, give you a little background if you want it, Steve. Okay. So there was actually a book written called The Road to Dune, mm-hmm. and this was later written by. Frank's son, Brian, and Kevin J. Anderson, and they found an original manuscript of what he, Frank Herbert had originally thought of for Dune. And it wasn't a complete book, you know, it was an outline. But they went ahead and wrote it, and it was much campier. It had much more that uh, older sci-fi feel as far as, mm. it was a pulp feel to it. Mm-hmm. And he got interested in the whole Dune desert world. He was actually a journalist, and he wrote an article about a city that was there was on near the edge of a desert, and the desert kept expanding. And so they were trying to figure out how to stop this, and they ended up stopping it with some grass. They planted a special grass that would have roots. Yeah. And I think it was called uh, "They Stopped the Moving Sands." Was an article he wrote, and then from there, that's when he started writing Dune. Well, first the pulpy version mm-hmm. that you could probably read in an afternoon, and then later he expanded it into the deep book that he Mm. wrote okay so is this thing you said kevin j anderson did this is is the road to dune uh yes kevin j anderson and his son brian okay brian herbert oh frank herbert's son brian not not kevin's son brian i didn't know kevin had a son brian i don't i didn't either until you said his son brian and i in the i didn't get the antecedent for that pronoun so there that is. I just used a big word, by the way. Pat, don't uh, back for Steve. Well, you have Good to spell job, it. Steve. Can, can you spell it? Mm, not, not right now. Not without maybe, Googling it? Maybe later. <laughs> maybe later, buddy. <laughs> maybe I'll catch that for you. Like, give, give, me, give me a moment later on, and we'll, we'll talk in private. Um, so <laughs> well, um, anything else, Chris, you want to add about, about this story about Dune? I I think it's worth a study. I think it's uh I think you grab so much from it um and it just it, it inspires so much conversation um uh, when you do close reading of the book. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's I I, I just find it fascinating. Um, okay. Uh well, Rod, this was your baby, man. This was your thing. Any, what what else have you got to add for us about this story? Well, I did notice that we skipped over one thing from oh, the uh, outline. Okay. Favorite story moments. I'm sorry. Yes, go ahead, man. I think there was one I was going to mention. I love after their first night in the desert when Paul and Jessica are in the wreck and they're coming out of the tent. And Paul starts, it's almost like something is triggered. And he realizes who he is, you know, as mm-hmm. far as. His awakening. I have, yeah, I have much more prescience than the normal person. And your dad is Baron Harkonnen, and I'm his grandson. You know, it's just kind of like this whole – it's like he just woke up and it, it all starts clicking for him. Mm. And, I, and I love that part. And then I thought – I, I actually like the scene in the movie better with 
Paul taking the water of life, not the original Lynch, but the made for TV. It was more of a, I think I can do this. I'm going to do it. I don't, I don't really give a deuce what you guys say about me not being able to tolerate the water of life. So, so that moment where he has that, I like Chris called it awakening. That's like your favorite, one of your favorite moments in the story. Yeah. When he just, his terrible purpose. Yeah. He, he just wakes up and he, I like how he just kind of puts his mom in her place, but <laughs> he does kind of take, I mean, like there is, it is weird. It's kind of this sudden, just, I'm going to take control now. But yeah. it's the spice that's doing that. I mean, he's suddenly absorbed in the spice and that is what's causing that happen. So it makes sense that it's happening when it, when he gets there. And it is, it does seem a little bit disrespectful, frankly, but his mind is just moving so much. I mean, he is so far ahead of where she is. She is still absorbed in her uh, Missionara Protectiva and, and her her breeding charts and her personal Bene Gesserit grid. And then Leto has just died. Like she's thinking hum- from a human's perspective, whereas Paul is thinking from the freak perspective, the Kwisatz Haderach perspective. And it's hitting a 15-year-old kid. So throw that into the mix. Now, how old is, how many years does this whole thing, does this book, does the first book go through? Um, yeah, he's he's a kid when it all starts. How old is he at the end of it? Three years. Yeah. Three. Really? So it's only like a three-year journey there. Mm-hmm. He sounds like Daniel Radcliffe in the when they go to the um, in in the not in the audible version, uh, when they're when they're doing the perform actual performance and, and the production of it, it sounds like Daniel Radcliffe doing the voice of Paul. <laughs> So I couldn't help but see anyone. I couldn't help but see anyone but Harry Potter standing there in a steel suit. Um, <laughs> which what a, what I never a disgusting wanna, concept. Yeah, by the way. I don't want a steel suit. By the way, you, you, you want to drink your own urine? And eat your feces. No, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to drink any Didn't of that. Reprocess. They're clean. Yeah, or my own sweat, or just the random moisture from my breath. It's like thank God we live on a planet with water. I will tell you that working in a freezer, you would be amazed at how much moisture you lose in your breath. Mm. Because as I now have a pretty thick beard, it gets really iced up. The longer I'm in the freezer, when I come out of there, I've just got ice all over my beard, and it's from the moisture in my breath. So interesting tidbit there. You're or maybe not so interesting, but you do lose a ton of moisture. You're your you're you're a man's man, Rod. Yeah. That's that's all there is I'm, to that. I'm I'm gonna go for the beard comb over. Like I'm gonna comb it from the top. Oh yeah, like just swoop it. What you should do is like part it down at the bottom and just swoop it around the back of your head. Yeah, like one of the dwarves. Yeah. Oh, that would be amazing. One of the dwarves does that <laughs> in the movie. Make it make it happen, Rod. Make it happen. Men's um, and I bought it. Well, guys, thanks, thanks for the discussion. Thanks for being on the show, and I, and and thanks for your support. And can I ask one last question? Steve? Yeah. So when you did the audible guarantee and you returned this book, what did you get? I've not done the audible guarantee and returned the book. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. I don't know that I will. I mean, I'm wasn't that disappointed with it. Oh, I know. I just I just gotta give you a little bit of a hard time. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's what I do. Um, now, by way of warning, Daniel and Indy has let me know there are Trekkies heading in our direction. They seem to have found some nerds to bully, he says. <laughs> Tre- that would be bully. probably me he's Tre- talking about. Trekkies going to bully the Dune fans. So. 
<laughs> Bring it on. Hey, we'll we had Patrick. Conversation. We had Patrick Stewart first. That's right. Yeah, it, it was here first. Number one. He was number one. Yeah, first. Um, no, guys, thank you both so much. You you've been huge supporters of the show and and all the shows and everything, and it and it means the world to me. And I and I appreciate you guys. And and I've enjoyed sitting down. I mean, this is something that I would probably not have done. I would have sought out the movie first and been really disappointed. Yes, you would have. So, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, you know, I'm and and two now, Rod. I also want to give you a chance here because you talked to me a little bit off air one time about starting up a book club, the the Goliverse Book Club. Oh yeah, I'd do that. Well, I would 100% do that if anybody's interested. I'd I think. Do that. I think you know, you know, set up a poll on the uh, on the Facebook page mm-hmm. and people make a suggestion and whatever book wins that then next month that's the book that gets discussed all right well look for that coming in um january i'm on there actually if you want to look for me on there well why don't we do this why don't why don't we uh after christmas i'll put a poll up for the last week of december on the facebook page or i'll go ahead mm, how do we do this here's what you do email in to geekoutonline at gmail.com geekoutonline at gmail.com put in the subject line uh, book club, Goliverse book club, and suggest a title or two. I will take those and make a poll on the Facebook page. Uh, you have just a few days to do this. I'll make a poll on the Facebook page, and so by January, we'll all have the book we're going to read, and then boom, February, we'll talk about it. I like it. And um, I'd, I'd, real quick, too, before I forget, Carissa, thank you for coming on. Well, I thank appreciate you for having me. It was very nice to be invited. Well, you just got so excited when I mentioned it that how could I not? Aww. Carissa, you did. You were like, Dune! I'm and sorry, I don't even remember that. So, I, I don't, I mean, I don't, I was just kidding. Uh, <laughs> well, that was actually fairly accurate. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you know what, Chris? I believe it. I do love Dune. Chris, we're going to have to do a Lord of the Rings episode at some point. I am so in. And what we'll have to do is get you and the kids on board yes because i know the kids are are into it and so that'll be good times uh rod i'm sure this won't be your last appearance on a goliverse show my friend well i'll probably do another call-in show eventually that's what i'm talking about (laughs) i gotta i gotta beat andy again is andy still there (laughs) i'm gonna beat you again andy (laughs) oh man well you can email us at geekoutonline at gmail.com geekoutonline at gmail.com of course we are on facebook be watching for the book club and now I'm being told in the chat there's something called Goodreads we could use. Well, I'll figure it out. But right for right now, facebook.com slash geekoutloud. Twitter is twitter.com. It's all at geekoutloud, at Goliverse. I'm at Steve Glosson. Uh, bald-headed Rod is at Rod underscore B underscore Johnson. And Carissa is at Sands. That's S-A-E-N-Z-C-R. Carissa is there on Twitter. And so we appreciate you guys coming on. We appreciate everyone listening and getting in touch with us. Don't forget to go over to geekoutonline.com. Use the Amazon link that's there at the left side of the page and uh, do your Amazon shopping. It helps out the shows. And if you want to support the shows directly, uh, like Chris and Rod do, head over to patreon.com slash geekoutloud. Big things coming in 2015. This week, for those of you listening live, it's going to be a Geek Out Loud heavy week. We've got this tonight. Uh, Tomorrow night, uh, I've got a Christmas show to throw together. 
after Christmas, I'm going to try to be getting in with Scott Rifen to talk some Secret Wars. And so it's a Geek Out Loud heavy week. If if Merry any of Christmas. if any what's that? Merry Christmas to us all. Merry Christmas. And uh, Teresa's saying I quit uh, Disney Vault Talk, but C- Teresa has made it clear she's moving, and we're not doing another show till January. So. Um, anyhow, it's going to be basically goal every day, but we do have Christmas Eve and Christmas Day that I might not be doing shows. We'll see. (laughs) We'll just see how it goes, guys. You never know. Uh, again, Rod, Chris, thanks so much. I had a blast, and, uh, you guys know you're welcome anytime. And, uh, and I appreciate all of your support. Everyone else, I appreciate you. Appreciate you listening. Hope you have a great whatever you're having, and we'll see you next time on Geek Out Loud. There was no way I was closing up with Dune music. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to go cleanse my palate with some Star Wars now. George George Lucas was influenced by Frank Herbert, and he's like, "Uh, let me show you how to do this right, Frank. (laughs) I I thought about bringing that up just to try and get a rise out of you, and I was like, ah, I won't do it.